0: Section 27 of An Essay Concerning Human Understanding This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An Essay Concerning Human Understanding by John Locke Chapter 21 of Power Part 3 number forty two all desire happiness if it be further asked what it is moves desire i answer happiness and that alone happiness and misery are the names of two extremes the utmost bounds whereof we know not it is what be in itself good and what is apt to produce any degree of pain be evil Yet it, it often happens that we do not call it so when it comes in competition with the greater of its sort because when they come in competition the degrees also of pleasure and pain have justly a preference so that if we will rightly estimate what we call good and evil we shall find it lies much in comparison for the cause of every less degree of pain as well as a greater degree of pleasure has the nature of good and vice versa number forty three missing number forty four what good is desired what not though this be that which is called good and evil and all good be proper object of desire in general yet all good even seen and confessed to be so does not necessarily move every particular man's desire but only that part or so much of it as is considered and taken to make a necessary part of his happiness. All other good, however great in reality or appearance, excite not a man's desires, who looks not on it to make a part of that happiness wherewith he, in his present thoughts, can satisfy himself. Happiness under this view, every one constantly pursues, and desires what makes any part of it. Other things acknowledged to be good. He can look upon without desire, pass by, and be content without. There is nobody, I think, so senseless as to deny that there is pleasure in knowledge. And for the pleasure of senses, they have too many followers to let it be questioned whether men are taken with them or no. Now, let one man place his satisfaction in sensual pleasures, another in the delight of knowledge, though each of them cannot but confess there is a great pleasure in what the other pursues yet neither of them making the others delight a part of his happiness their desires are not moved. but each is satisfied without what the other enjoys and so his will is not determined to the pursuit of it but yet as soon as the studious man's hunger and thirst make him uneasy he whose will was never determined to any pursuit of good cheer, poignant sauces, delicious wines, by the pleasant taste he has found in them, is, by the uneasiness of hunger and thirst, presently determined to eating and drinking, though possibly with great indifferency, what wholesome food comes in his way. And, on the other side, the epicure buckles to study when shame or the desire to recommend himself to his mistress shall make him uneasy in the want of any sort of knowledge. Thus, how much soever men are in earnest, and constant in pursuit of happiness, yet they may have a clear view of good, great, and confessed good, without being concerned for it, or moved by it, if they think they can make up their happiness without it. Though, as to pain, that they are always concerned for, they can feel no uneasiness without being moved. And therefore, being uneasy is the want of whatever is judged necessary to their happiness as soon as any good appears to make a part of their portion of happiness they begin to desire it number forty five why the greatest good is not always desired this i think any one may observe in himself and others that the greatest visible good does not always raise man's desire in proportion to the greatness it appears and is acknowledged to have though every little trouble moves us and sets us on work to get rid of it the reason whereof is evident from the nature of our happiness and misery itself all present pain whatever it be makes a part of our present misery but all absent good does not at any time make a necessary part of our present happiness nor the absence of it make a part of our misery if it did, we should be constantly and infinitely miserable, there being infinite degrees of happiness which are not in our possession. All uneasiness therefore being removed, a moderate portion of good serve at present to content men, and few degrees of pleasure in a succession of ordinary enjoyments make up a happiness wherein they can be satisfied. If this were not so, there would be no room for those indifferent and visibly trifling actions to which our wills are so often determined and wherein we voluntarily waste so much of our lives which remissness could by no means consist with a constant determination of will or desire to the greatest apparent good that this is so i think few people need go far from home to be convinced and indeed in this life There are not many those whose happiness reaches so far as to afford them a constant train of moderate mean pleasures without any mixture of uneasiness and yet they could be content to stay here for ever though they cannot deny but that it is possible there may be a state of eternal durable joys after this life far surpassing all the good that is to be found here nay they cannot but see that it is more possible than the attainment and continuation of that pitaience of honour riches or pleasure which they pursue and for which they neglect that eternal state but yet in full view of this difference satisfied of the possibility of a perfect secure and lasting happiness in a future state and under a clear conviction that it is not to be bad here whilst they bound their happiness within some little enjoyment or aim of this life and exclude the joys of heaven from making any necessary part of it their desires are not moved by this great apparent good nor their wills determined to any action or endeavour for its attainment number forty six why not being desired it moves not the will the ordinary necessities of our lives fill a great part of them with the uneasiness of hunger, thirst, heat, cold, weariness, with labour and sleepiness, in their constant returns, and etc., to which, if, besides accidental harms, we add the fantastical uneasiness, as each after honour, power, or riches, and so on, which acquired habits, by fashion, example, and education, have settled in us and a thousand other irregular desires which custom has made natural to us we shall find that a very little part of our life is so vacant from these uneasiness, as to leave us free to the attraction of remote or absent good we are seldom at ease and free enough from the solicitation of our natural or adopted desires but a constant succession of uneasiness out of that shock which natural wants or acquired habits have heaped up take the will in their turns and no sooner in one action dispatched which by such a determination of the will we are set upon but another uneasiness is ready to set us on work for the removing of the pains we feel and are at present pressed with being the getting out of misery and consequently the first thing to be done in order to happiness absent good though thought on confessed and appearing to be good not making any part of this unhappiness in its absence is just ruled out to make way for the removal of those uneasiness we feel till due and repeated contemplation has brought it nearer to our mind given some relish of it and raised in us some desire which then beginning to make a part of our present uneasiness stands upon their fair terms with the rest to be satisfied and so According to its greatness and pressure, comes in its turn to determine the will. Number forty seven. Due consideration raises desire. And thus, by a due consideration and examining any good proposed, it is in our power to raise our desires in a due proportion to the value of that good, whereby in its turn and place it may come to work upon the will and be pursued. For good though appearing allowed ever so great yet till it has raised desires in our minds and thereby made us uneasy in its want it reaches not our wills we are not within the sphere of its activity our wills being under the determination only of those uneasiness which are present to us which whilst we have any are always soliciting and ready at hand to give the will its next determination the balancing when there is any in the mind being only which desire shall be next satisfied which uneasiness first removed whereby it comes to pass that as long as any uneasiness any desire remains in our mind there is no room for good barely as such to come at the will, or at all to determine it because as has been said the first step in our endeavors after happiness being to get wholly out of the confines of misery, and to feel no part of it, the will can be at leisure for nothing else, till every uneasiness we feel be perfectly removed, which, in the multitude of wants and desires, we are beset with in this imperfect state, we are not like to be ever freed from in this world. Number 48. The power to suspend the prosecution of any desire makes way for consideration there being in us a great many uneasiness always soliciting and ready to determine the will it is natural as i have said that the greatest and most pressing should determine the will to the next action and so it does for the most part but not always for the mind having in most cases as is evident in experience a power to suspend the execution and satisfaction of any of its desires and so all one after another is at liberty to consider the objects of them examine them on all sides and weigh them with others in this lies the liberty man has and from the not using of it right comes all that variety of mistakes errors and faults which we run into in the conduct of our lives and our endeavours after happiness, whilst we precipitate to determination of our wills and engage too soon before due examination. To prevent this, we have a power to suspend the prosecution of this or that desire, as every one daily may experiment in himself. This seems to me the source of all liberty. In this seems to consist that which is, as I think improperly, called free will. For, during the suspension of any desire, before the will be determined to action, and the action which follows the determination, done, we have opportunity to examine, view, and judge of the good or evil of what we are going to do, and when, upon due examination, we have judged, we have done our duty, all that we can or ought to do in pursuit of our happiness. And it is not a fault, but a perfection of our nature, to desire, will, and act according to the last result of a fair examination. Number 49. To be determined by our own judgment is no restraint to liberty. This is so far from being a restraint or diminution of freedom, that it is the very improvement and benefit of it it is not an abridgment it is the end and use of our liberty and the further we are removed from such a determination the nearer we are to misery and slavery a perfect indifference in the mind not determinable by its last judgment of the good or evil that is thought to attend its choice would be so far from being an advantage and excellency of any intellectual nature that it would be As great an imperfection as the want of indifferency to act, or not to act, till determined by the will, would be an imperfection on the other side. A man is at liberty to lift up his hand to his head, or let it rest quiet. He is perfectly indifferent in either, and it would be an imperfection in him if he wanted that power, if he were deprived of that indifferency but it would be as great an imperfection if he had the same indifferency whether he would prefer the lifting of his hand or its remaining in rest when it would save his head or eyes from a blow he sees coming it is as much a perfection that desire or the power of preferring should be determined by good as that the power of acting should be determined by the will and the certain of such determination is the greater is the perfection. Nay, were we determined by anything but the last result of our own minds, judging of good or evil of any action, we were not free. Number 50. The freest agents are so determined. If we look upon the superior beings above us, who enjoy perfect happiness, we shall have reason to judge that they are more steadily determined in their choice of good than we and yet we have no reason to think they are less happy or less free than we are and if it were fit for such poor finite creatures as we are to pronounce what infinite wisdom and goodness could do i think we might say that god himself cannot choose what is not good the freedom of the almighty hinders not as being determined by what is best number fifty one a constant determination to a pursuit of happiness no abridgment of liberty but to give a right view of this mistaken part of liberty let me ask would any one be a changeling because he is less determined by wise considerations than a wise man is it worth the name of freedom to be at liberty to play the fool and draw the shame and misery upon a man's self if it to break loose from the conduct of reason and to want that restraint of examination and judgment which keeps us from choosing or doing the worse be liberty true liberty madmen and fools are the only free men but yet i think nobody would choose to be mad for the sake of such liberty but he that is mad already the constant desire of happiness and the constraint it puts upon us to act for it nobody i think accounts an abridgment of liberty or at least an abridgment of liberty to be complained of god almighty himself is under the necessity of being happy and the more any intelligent being is so the nearer is its approach to infinite perfection and happiness that in this state of ignorance, we short-sighted creatures might not mistake true felicity. We are endowed with a power to suspend any particular desire and keep it from determining the will and engaging us in action. This is standing will where we are not sufficiently assured of the way. Examination is consulting a guide. The determination of the will upon inquiry is following the direction of that guide, and he that has the power to act or not to act, according as such determination directs, is a free agent. Such determination abridges not that power wherein liberty consists. He that has his chains knocked off, and the prison door set open to him, is perfectly at liberty, because he may either go or stay, as he best likes though his preference be determined to stay by the darkness of the night or the illness of weather or want of other lodging he ceases not to be free though the desire of some convenience to be had there absolutely determines his preference and makes him stay in his prison number fifty two the necessity of pursuing true happiness the foundation of liberty as therefore the highest perfection of intellectual nature lies in a careful and constant pursuit of true and solid happiness, so the care of ourselves, that we mistake not imaginary for real happiness, is the necessary foundation of our liberty. The stronger ties we have to an unalterable pursuit of happiness in general, which is our greatest good, and which as such our desires always follow, the more are we free from any necessary determination of our will to any particular action, and from a necessary compliance with our desire so upon any particular, and then appearing preferably good, till we have duly examined whether it has a tendency to, or be inconsistent with, our real happiness, and therefore till we are as much informed upon this inquiry as the weight of the matter and the nature of the case demands we are by the necessity of preferring and pursuing true happiness as our greatest good obliged to suspend the satisfaction of our desires in particular cases number fifty three power to suspend this is the hinge on which turns the liberty of intellectual beings in their constant endeavours after under steady prosecution Of true felicity that they can suspend this prosecution in particular cases till they have looked before them and informed themselves whether that particular thing which is then proposed or desired lie in the way of their main end and make a real part of that which is their greatest good for the inclination and tendency of their nature to happiness is an obligation and motive to them to take care not to mistake or miss it and so necessarily puts them upon caution deliberation and wariness in the direction of their particular actions which are the means to obtain it whatever necessity determines to the pursuit of real bliss the same necessity with the same force establishes suspense deliberation and scrutiny of each successive desire Whether the satisfaction of it does not interfere with our true happiness and mislead us from it. This, as seems to me, is the great privilege of finite intellectual beings, and I desire it may be well considered whether the great inlet and exercise of all the liberty men have, are capable of, or can be useful to them, and that whereon depends the turn of their actions does not lie in this, that they can suspend their desires, and stop them from determining their wills to any action, till they have duly and fairly examined the good and evil of it, as far forth as the weight of the thing requires. This we are able to do, and when we have done it, we have done our duty, and all that is in our power, and indeed all that needs. for. Since the will supposes knowledge to guide its choice, all that we can do is to hold our wills undetermined till we have examined the good and evil of what we desire. What follows after that follows in a chain of consequences linked one to another, all depending on the last determination of judgment, which, whether it shall be upon a an hasty and precipitate view, or upon a due and mature examination, is in our power experience showing us that in most cases we are able to suspend the present satisfaction of any desire. Number 54. Government of our passions the right improvement of liberty. But if any extreme disturbance, as it sometimes happens, possesses our whole mind, as when the pain of the rack and impetuous uneasiness, as of love, anger, and any other violent passion, running away with us, allow us not the liberty of thought, and we are not masters enough of our own minds to consider thoroughly and examine fairly? God, who knows our frailty, pities our weakness, and requires of us no more than we are able to do, and sees what was and what was not in our power, will judge as a kind and merciful father but the forbearance of a too hasty compliance with our desires the moderation and restraint of our passions so that our understanding may be free to examine and reason unbiased give its judgment being that whereon a right direction of our conduct to true happiness depends it is in this we should employ our chief care and endeavours in this we should take pains to suit the relish of our minds the true intrinsic good, or ill that is in things, and not permit and allowed our supposed possible great and weighty good to slip out of our thoughts, without leaving any relish, any desire of itself that ill, by a due consideration of its true worth, we have formed appetites in our minds suitable to it, and made ourselves uneasy in the want of it, or in the fear of losing it. And how much this is, in everyone's power, by making resolutions to himself, such as he may keep, is easy for everyone to try. Now let anyone say he cannot govern his passion, nor hinder them from breaking out and carrying him into action, for what he can do before a prince or a great man, he can do alone, or in the presence of God, if he will. Number 55 how men come to pursue different and often evil courses from what has been said it is easy to give an account how it comes to pass that though all men desire happiness yet their wills carry them so contrarily and consequently some of them to what is evil and to this i say that the various and contrary choices that men make in the world do not argue that they do not all pursue good but that the same thing is not good to every man alike the variety of pursuit shows that every one does not place his happiness in the same thing or choose the same way to it where all the concerns of a man terminated in his life why one followed study and knowledge and another hawking and hunting why one chose luxury and debauchery and another sobriety and riches Would not be because every one of these did not aim at his own happiness, but because their happiness was placed in different things, and therefore it was a right answer of the physician to his patient that had sore eyes. If you have more pleasure in the taste of wine than in the use of your sight, wine is good for you, but if the pleasure of seeing be greater than that of drinking, wine is not. Number 56 All men seek happiness but not of the same sort the mind has a different relish as well as the palate and you will as fruitlessly endeavour to delight all men with riches or glory which yet some men place their happiness in as you would to satisfy all men's hunger with cheese or lobsters which though very agreeable and delicious fat to some are to others extremely nauseous and offensive and many persons would with reason prefer the gripping of an hungry belly to those dishes which are a feast to others hence it was i think that the philosophers of the whole, did in vain inquire whether summum bonum consisted in riches or bodily delights or virtue or contemplation and they might have as reasonably disputed whether the best relish were to be found in apples, plums, or nuts, and has divided themselves into sects upon it. For as pleasant taste depends not on the things themselves, but on the agreeableness to this or that particular palate, wherein there is a great variety. So the greatest happiness consists in the having those things which produce the greatest pleasure, and in the absence of those which cause any disturbance, any pain. Now these to different men are very different things. If, therefore, men in this life only have hope, if in this life only they can enjoy, it is not strange nor unreasonable that they should seek their happiness by avoiding all things that deceive them here, and by pursuing all that delight them, wherein it will be no wonder to find variety and difference For if there be no prospect beyond the grave, the inference is certainly right. Let us eat and drink, let us enjoy what we delight in, for tomorrow we shall die. This I think may serve to show us the reason why, though all men desire tend to happiness, yet they are not all moved by the same object. Men may choose different things, and yet all choose right, supposing them only like a company of poor insects, whereof some are bees delighted with the flowers and their sweetness, others beetles delighted with other kinds of yarns, which having enjoyed for a season, they would cease to be and exist no more for ever. 57. Not in Early Editions 58. Why men choose what makes them miserable What has been said may also discover to us the reason why men in this world prefer different things and pursue happiness by contrary causes. But yet, since men are always constant and in earnest in matters of happiness and misery, the question still remains, how men come often to prefer the worse to the better, and to choose that which, by their own confession, has made them miserable number 59 the causes of this to account for the various and contrary ways men take though all aim at being happy we must consider whence the various uneasiness, that determine the will and the preference of each voluntary action have their rise one from bodily pain some of them come from the cause not in our power such as are often the pains of the body from the want, disease, or outward injuries, as rack, etc., which, when present and violent, operate for the most part forcibly on the will and turn the courses of men's lives from the virtue, piety, and religion, and what before they judge to lead to happiness. Every one not endeavouring, or not being able, by the contemplation of good and future good. To raise in himself desires of them strong enough to counterbalance the uneasiness he feels in those bodily torments, and to keep his will steady in the choice of those actions which led to future happiness. A neighbouring country has been of late a tragical theatre from which we might fetch instances, if there needed any. And the world did not in all countries and ages furnish examples enough to confirm that received observation, necessitas cogit a turpia, and therefore there is the great reason for us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Second, From wrong desires arising from wrong judgments. Other uneasiness arise from our desires of absent good, which desires always bear proportion to and depend on the judgment we make and the relish we have of any absent good, in both which we are apt to be variously misled, and that by our own fault. Number 60. Our judgment of present good or evil always right. In the first place, I shall consider the wrong judgment men make of future good and evil, whereby their desires are misled. For as to present happiness and misery, when that alone comes into consideration, and the consequences are quite remote. a man never chooses amiss, he knows what best pleases him and that he actually prefers things in their present enjoyment are what they seem the apparent and real good are in this case always the same for the pain or pleasure being just so great and no greater than it is felt the present good or evil is really so much as it appears and therefore, were every action of ours concluded within itself and drew no consequences after it, we should undoubtedly never err in our choice of good. We should always infallibly prefer the best where the pains of honest industry and of starving with hunger and cold set together before us. nobody would be in doubt which to choose were the satisfaction of a lust and the joys of heaven offered at once to any one's present position he would not balance or err in the determination of his choice end of section twenty seven read by lambda